I don't think I've ever experienced a situation in my lifetime where a person was fired from their job or not allowed to watch their kids play hockey or not allowed to go visit a loved one in long-term care or hospital or not allowed to go get on a plane to either go across the country to see family or even travel across the border. So they have been the most discriminated against group that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Remember that comment? That was Danielle Smith, the new Alberta Premier, yesterday. Well, today she started to walk it back. She said she didn't intend to trivialize discrimination faced by minority communities when she suggested, as you heard there, that unvaccinated people faced the most discrimination she's ever seen in her lifetime. Not just discrimination or consequences, but the most discrimination. Um, You'd have to have a pretty limited understanding of history to think that was the most, but Nonetheless, um, she says in a statement she wasn't trying to create false equivalencies to historical discrimination and persecution suffered by many minority groups in the past decades and centuries, rightfully so. Uh, she says she is committed to listening and addressing the issues affecting those communities. Still, it led to a lot of criticism from across the country today um, from those who thought that using the term like the most, uh, considering there are 45,000 people who died of COVID, that the we were in the middle of a pandemic at the time and that it's easy to try to relitigate something like a public health emergency after the fact when you didn't have to make those decisions in the first place or weren't faced with the very delicate balance of trying to weigh public health versus freedom and economic prosperity. They didn't have to be mutually exclusive, but it was a tough call. I don't envy any leader who had to make those decisions. So one who did, BC Premier John Horgan, had this to say about Daniel Smith's comments today. Uh, it's laughable, uh, quite frankly. Uh, we collectively, not just British Columbians and Canadians, but the global community has just gone through an unprecedented time. Nothing uh, like this in over 100 years, going back to the Spanish influenza. But to understand the comments and also to give Danielle Smith, who's new as Premier of Alberta, a chance to also grow into the role as well, um, it's probably better to understand and for Canadians to understand where she is coming from. Uh, Because one can make a statement like this and then think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have put it that way. And, um, you know, a lot of people are criticizing Danielle Smith today, and I think that's fair. But it's also fair to allow her to either uh, apologize or to uh, equivocate, to, to say what she meant, and then make your own decisions from there. But to get a better understanding, to give you a better understanding, if you don't happen to be in Alberta or don't happen to pay attention uh, closely to Alberta politics, we thought we'd try to find out a bit more about where this comment could have come from. And joining us to do help us do that is Tyler Dawson. He's the Alberta correspondent for the National Post. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. So uh, needless to say, this this comment um, set off quite the firestorm. What did you make of it? I mean, you've been following Danielle Smith for quite a while now. Uh, what was your reaction to it? Well, the interesting thing about the comment is that it's it's sort of something that Danielle Smith has alluded to about herself. You know, that she sometimes gets caught up in in the things she's enthusiastic about or um, and, and sort of goes down these rabbit holes. And, you know, when I when I was reporting the story I wrote about her, I talked to a bunch of folks who used to work for her. And they also all sort of said some variety of, of, of similar things, you know, that that um, she she's a principled person and, and likes to talk and likes to sort of uh, wade through her thoughts in public. Um, and that sometimes that gets her into trouble. You know, this isn't the first time back in the I think it must have been the 2012 or the 2014 um uh, election, I think 2012. 2012. Yeah, 2012. 2012. Yeah, there's the what's referred to in Alberta political circles now as the Lake of Fire incident. Um, and it was one of her candidates who 
who basically said that gays and lesbians would burn for eternity in a lake of fire. And, and Daniel Smith came out and defended this candidate sort of on the grounds of religious freedom, um, you know, taking what I guess could be called a principled stance. Um, but I mean, it wasn't very good politics at the time and it wouldn't be very good politics now. So, so you can see, I think, if you look over at sort of the trajectory of, of her, her career in politics and in the public eye, that, that she does sort of make these stumbles uh, time and again. Yeah, this one was was interesting only so far insofar as that it did in many ways line up with what she'd been talking about, at least within the UCP leadership race for months now, even prior to that. Uh, one gets well, the impression, yeah, that she she legitimately believes this. Well, you know, I don't know whether or not she legitimately believes it, but it, that is an important sort of contextual piece here, which is that Daniel Smith really rode this sort of wave of um, anger and resentment about vaccination and about lockdowns and about vaccine passports into the leadership chair. Um, you know, the United Conservative Party, its membership basically doubled in the time since the leadership review of Jason Kenney was announced to to the to the actual vote that saw Danielle Smith win. And, you know, most of the people I've talked to in the party say that these are sort of new members, members who are specifically agitated from COVID-19 sort of era measures. And so they're very much Danielle Smith's people. So so she she leaned in pretty hard on on some of the rhetoric um, in her newsletter uh, that she was writing for sort of the the years of the pandemic, um, and and had leaned into some of that stuff on her Twitter feed and and on her radio show and things like that. So you know, whether she believes it or not, um, it, it is certainly very much a part of the um, the the narrative, I guess, that brought her to power. Um, and and she's, I think, not going to be able to shake that. Uh, whether she wants to or not is maybe a different question. When one looks at uh, vaccine mandates, vaccinations, it, it seems hard to remove oneself from the atmosphere of the time. You know, I think nowadays, I'm, I'm not sure how much appetite there is right now to relitigate all the decisions that were made at the height of the pandemic when it seemed, you know, when people were dying, to be frank. Um, where is the allure uh, in Danielle Smith talking about this stuff in a way? Uh, is there still that much anger and that many votes to be had in Alberta by relitigating what happened over the two years of the pandemic, good and bad? The short answer, I think, is no, there probably isn't that much appetite. Um, you know, some of the polling that came out at the start of the leadership race and that and what we've seen in sort of the months since shows that the, the concerns of the Alberta electorate, broadly speaking, are the same concerns that everyone else in Canada has. These are questions of affordability, concerns about inflation, the state of the healthcare system, the education system, you know, the, the bread and butter issues that um, are, are normally uh, catnip for conservative politicians. Th those are still the issues that people want to talk about. And to their credit, I think the new Democrats out here have realized that. And those are the things that they are talking about. Um, but that's not the whole sort of picture that we're looking at here, because Danielle Smith wasn't running to be premier. She wasn't running to against, you know, the general Alberta public. Um, and that's arguably one of the weaknesses of her opponents' campaigns, that they did seem to be running that sort of that sort of race. They did seem to be trying to, you know, say the sort of things that would appeal to a broader uh, chunk of the electorate. Um, whereas Danielle Smith very much realized, and her team very much realized, that they were running for the votes of 125,000 people. Um, 
about 60,000 of them are new members who, as I mentioned earlier, were specifically agitated by COVID-19 stuff. And to a lesser extent, um, some of the grievances against Ottawa, which is a set of grievances that also appeals to the the other 60,000, I guess. Yes, like, indeed. Sort of whole conservative base. Um, so, so we're basically talking about two different things here. You know, the, the issue is that really, really motivate the people who are going out to buy a United Conservative Party membership to vote in Jason Kenney's leadership review, to vote in this leadership race. The concerns that animate them might not be the same um, that, that the average Albertan is thinking about. So, you know, you raise the question of, of what that means. Well, you know, is Danielle Smith going to try and win a general election litigating these issues in six months' time? Or is she going to pivot um, and try and talk about some other things? So it is going to be really interesting to see, um, and not to ramble on too much about this, but, you know, she was elected by people who had very specific concerns about fighting back against Ottawa, about um, resisting lockdowns and cr criticizing some of the decisions that were made during the pandemic. So she pivots from that. Well, does she start losing some of this base that brought her into power? And does she find herself in the same situation that Jason Kenney did. So it's a it's an interesting position that she's in and very, very early days. Um, but there will be lots to watch, I think, in the months ahead. Yeah, it is a tightrope, uh, needless to say. How much do you think these comments, I mean, John Horgan was unequivocal today mm -hmm. about what he thought of them. Um, you know, as Premier of, of Alberta, you you know, you still try to have to, still have to make friends with the other premiers, right? How much does this, does this hurt? Um, do you think in her early days for that pivot? Well, you know, it, it, she's certainly not off to the world's best start. You know, I think this is the sort of thing that's going to haunt her for a little while. Um, it's going to show up in new Democrat attack ads. It's going to make some parts of her job awkward, I think. Um, but, you know, sort of six months is, is an absolute lifetime in politics. And people sometimes have sort of short memories and are willing to forgive things. So, you know, it, is this going to sort of hang over her for the next six months? I, it, I mean, it's hard to forecast that. I think the New Democrats will certainly try. Um, but is that going to matter for, for her prospects in the next election? Is it going to matter for her ability to get her agenda passed? Uh, that, I think, is a little bit less clear cut. Uh, on to a bit more of her policy agenda. Clearly, the Alberta Sovereignty Act was the centerpiece of that, which would ostensibly give Alberta the... Uh, the power to ignore, at least in her mind, uh, the power to ignore federal court rulings that they didn't agree with, the province doesn't agree with. She clarified that a bit yesterday, saying that uh, when it came to Supreme, Supreme Court decisions, there would be recognition of that. How much of a nuance is that? Well, it's certainly a softening of that tone, um, you know, by by conceding that you are, in fact, going to listen to the highest court in the land. Um, that is, without a doubt, taking a step down from some of the more fiery rhetoric um, that, that came up on the campaign trail. And that, um, you know, insofar as there is sort of a central planning document that tells us about this thing, which was a strategy released about a year ago by, by a, a, a group out here, um, you know, that the language in that document is pretty unequivocal on Alberta's ability to to ignore these sorts of things. So, you know, and I, I hinted at it a bit before the break, this idea that if, if she softens her stance on some things, she risks alienating some of her more hardcore supporters. And that is maybe a thing that could happen here. But, you know, she's also in a position where she's made these promises and has to find a way to deliver on them and and needs to get this through her caucus because you know they need to vote on it and and so she's going to have to play nice a little bit and and smooth smooth over some of those rough edges i think um in order to get this sort of anywhere near a piece of legislation and anywhere near a piece of legislation that's uh 
going to be you know effective in any in any manner yeah i mean even with that many new members she didn't win by a landslide right it was about 53 plus percent um travis taves the former finance minister did pretty well uh finishing a, a not too distant second uh how much how difficult will it be for her to unite the party uh particularly in light of comments like the ones she made yesterday where all of a sudden she becomes a lightning rod i don't i can't tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing where she where she sits right now well there's i think also two different things to look at here the first is her caucus um you know some members in caucus caused a lot of problems for jason kenny over the last couple years and and so for danielle smith there's there's that job on the one side which is getting caucus on board that nobody i've talked to in the last couple weeks thinks that's going to be a huge issue um they think that they are going to sort of look at danielle smith they're going to look at an election in six months and say if we want to win this election if we want to keep the ndp from getting back in power we need to line up behind the leader and and behave ourselves. So that's part of it. Um, the other part of it, of course, is the constituency associations, the grassroots members, the people who are knocking on doors, sending out flyers, paying membership dues, attending the convention, and whether or not they are going to fall in line, whether or not some of the older sort of progressive conservative types are, are going to try and organize in some fashion, um, whether the new perhaps more radical members are going to try and organize in some fashion, whether that's in elections to the party's board that'll be held at the convention in a couple of weeks, whether that's on dealing with some of the policy resolutions that will come to the floor. So I think in terms of the party as a whole, the unity question is a little bit less clear, but, but in terms of caucus itself, um, I, I suspect you will see a relatively high degree of uh, cohesion there just because, you know, all of a sudden they have this election to look at that they don't want to lose. Tell me about this decision of hers to run in a by-election in Medicine mm -hmm. Hat, as opposed to the already vacant seat in Calgary, and just what that, how that bodes for the future. It feels like you're going to head into an election in six months, where uh, you're going to have quite the split. I mean, we saw it just happen in Quebec. I mean, Montreal did not vote for Francois Legault. He still won a landslide. I don't imagine mm -hmm. um, the 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 numbers add up quite the same way in Alberta with Calgary and Edmonton. So the bulk of the United Conservative Party's membership is in rural and small town Alberta. The bulk of the Alberta population is in Calgary and Edmonton. So you, you already have this split between the party's base and the population. In terms of where Danielle Smith has chosen to run, she's chosen to run in a safe seat, which is certainly part of this. You know, there is a risk that she loses if she was going to run in Calgary Elbow, which is the vacant seat in Calgary. Um, and I think actually also Ralph Klein's former riding, if I'm not mistaken. So, so it, that in that sense, it's a, a purely tactical decision. Um, run in a safe seat where you're not at risk of losing um, so that she can take a seat in the legislature. Um, it, you know, broadly speaking, you do have a similar situation to Quebec. Um, you know, Edmonton is almost certainly going to vote overwhelmingly New Democrat, and the rural and small town Alberta is going to vote overwhelmingly UCP. There's a couple ridings in play in Lethbridge and maybe a riding or two in Edmonton that are on play. And then, of course, there's sort of the, the broader metropolitan area that is um, swings more conservative. But but what this comes down to in six months time is basically the battleground is Calgary and, you know, maybe a half dozen to a dozen ridings in Calgary. That is really where the fight is going to happen. Um, so so in terms of Danielle Smith running in Medicine Hat and not calling a by-election in Calgary, you know, you are going to have at least one riding in Calgary where people are kind of ticked off. They haven't had a representative in six months. Tyler Dawson, thank you. Thanks so much.